be with you this morning as we uh, open God's Word together. We, uh, as it relates to the Gospel of John, our next place to start is John chapter 10. We will not do that this morning. Uh, my schedule this week has been a little bit off, and so I haven't really had time to, uh, uh, to get into John 10 like I wanted to. John 10 is really one of those chapters in the Gospel of John that... Um, that is packed full of uh, doctrinal truth that I want to make sure that we can um, uh, take the time that's needed to expose. So as we've been in the Psalms, um, we've been through what are called the Psalms of Ascent, or we've called them Pilgrim Songs, which which is really what the Song of Ascent is getting at. And uh, we've been looking at um, just the realities of the journey that each Christian will travel and walk uh, in this world. One of the things that passages like that are, are Psalms, and, and there's other passages that will do the same. One of the things that that does for us is it helps us to orient and it sets our expectations um, to be accurate more in reality um, as we think about what to expect in this world. So often people have a skewed idea of what the Christian walk is supposed to be like, what it means for us to live in a fallen world um, and to walk through this life uh, with the Lord. I remember um, whenever I think it was my first year teaching, there was a student that I had who... Uh, was writing some kind of a position paper that he wanted me to read for him, and and it was about uh, it was about walking with God. It was about trusting in Christ, and his uh, his paper was all about if you just trust in Christ, all your troubles will just melt away. And if you've walked with the Lord very long, you realize that's not even close to being true. In many respects, when you begin to walk with the Lord, the troubles are just getting started. Uh, you are at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil, and the trials are going to continue to heap on. And so what I would like to do this morning, in a way that hopefully will uh, parallel and draw out some of the same themes that we've been looking at in uh, the Psalms, these Psalms of Ascent, is to revisit some material that we've looked at in years past out of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, um, we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 9. We look at what it means to walk with God through trials. Walking with God through trials. What is it that the Lord has given? What has He provided? What's normal? What is? What are some of His purposes? And so forth and so on. So 1 Peter chapter 1 I want to read verses 3 through 9. First Peter 1, starting in verse 3, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively, or we could say a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed 
in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now ye see Him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls." Now, a couple of things to note here. Number one, in this extended passage, that is verses 3 through 9, and you can see this, um, well, there's a couple of periods here, but in the Greek, this is one long sentence. That's why we took it as a whole. Uh, the reason I, I, I even point that out is because this is, this is meant to be connected as one drawn-out thought. where Each thought is building upon the other. And so there are some realities that we want to look at from this passage about what it means to walk with God through trials. I would say that as far as the New Testament goes, uh, this is one of the, it might be the um, most complete passage that refers to, talks to, instructs us through walking through trials and difficulty uh, in this world. And so... Several points we want to get from this. Number one, as we seek to walk with God through difficulties, through trials. Number one, verses three through five, your faith will guard you. Your faith will guard you as you walk through trials. Now, starting in verse three, um, Peter gives a blessing, but we make our way down to verse five. Uh, as he talks about this inheritance that we've received that's incorruptible and it's undefiled and it doesn't fade away and it's reserved in heaven for you. And then verse 5 says this, you who are kept, that is guarded by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Part of what your faith is given to you for, part of the function of your faith is to guard you during trials. You know, what you believe about anything makes a tremendous difference. How you interpret life makes a tremendous difference. And we're, when we're talking about your faith guarding you as you walk through difficulties, as you walk through the pilgrimage of this life, if we could just put what Peter's getting at in a uh, maybe a, a simpler form, it's just simply this. God is good even when life is bad. God is good even when life is bad. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says, Lord, you are good and you do good. It was good for me to be afflicted that I might learn to walk in your ways. You see, every trial, every difficulty that we go through, and I think maybe we talked about this a little bit on Wednesday. If not, we did a few Wednesdays back, a few Wednesday back. 
Every trial that we go through is an opportunity to draw near to the Lord. Now, that's not all a trial is, but it certainly is um, part of what every trial affords to the believer. You say, well, you know, that's not really what I had in mind. Well, one of the things that we learned from 1 Peter and just life and difficulties in general from Scripture is there's a whole lot that's outside of our control. We do not get to choose the trials we go through. The Lord doesn't give us a sign up. He doesn't let us know when things are coming. He does not allow us to write our stories and to choose our pains. What He does allow us to do is to respond to those difficulties in wisdom according to what He's revealed to us in Scripture. And so that's really another way of putting this faith will guard you. God is good even when life is bad. Faith is just simply trust or belief. The truth is, when we go through hard times, when we go through difficult times, it can be tempting for us to try to view or even shape our understanding of God in light of our circumstances. Circumstances are hard, they're painful, they're difficult. It's easy to question, what is God doing? Where is He? Why is He not making this easier? Why is He not making this more bearable? We can come to some pretty wild conclusions about God and His character if we're trying to form those based on our experience. The other alternative, and this is where Peter's going, is that we instead view God and our experience in light of Scripture. We allow Scripture to be our interpretive guide. We allow Scripture to highlight and to uh, really draw a map for us as we walk through these uncertain difficulties, this life that we live that's full of ups and downs and trials and difficulties. Faith, the gift that God has given to every one of His children, has been given to guard you, to allow you to see clearly the path in front of you. We think about passages like Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. You will keep him, same word as guard, okay? Now, it's not the same word as far as Hebrew to Greek, but the same meaning. You, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. Now, when Isaiah speaks this word, in Isaiah chapter 26, Isaiah is a book that's full of predicted trials, difficulties, afflictions, judgments that come from even the hand of God. And as Isaiah is warning the people about the Assyrians who will come and bring judgment, later the Babylonians who would come and bring judgment, Isaiah is speaking to the people and he's saying that as far as the Lord is concerned, He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed upon Him. That is, 
the one whose mind is, um, is stuck to, glued to, the revealed character of God in Scripture. This is what God is like. This is what we know about Him. Because He trusts in Him. Or Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. This is really getting into the, the substance of it. So it's one thing to say, I've said this often, but this is one thing I don't think we can say enough. It's one thing to say that I'm trying to walk by faith or I'm trying to trust God in the midst of a painful, difficult situation, in the midst of a heated trial. It's another thing to know exactly what it is you're trying to trust. Trust always has an object. Faith always has an object and it must be informed. So we've used this example before, but the passage uh, where David says, what time I am afraid I will trust in thee. That's a good verse. Uh, Obviously a good verse. The Holy Spirit inspired it. But that's that's one that we do well to, to mimic. But what David's doing in that passage is he's laying out the game plan. When David was afraid, He didn't quote that verse to himself. He lived off of that verse. What do I mean by that? Well, there was something about God that David was going to trust when he was afraid. There was specifics about God's character and about what God had revealed. I know I have. I've told you this before, but... Often, as I've had conversations with folks, they would say, I'm, I'm just trying to trust in the Lord. I'm just trying to uh, move forward in faith. I said, well, that's good. What exactly about God are you trying to lay hold of right now? And more often than not, people don't have an answer to that. Now, I don't want to get on a rabbit trail here, but I will just say this. Brothers and sisters, as you try to live by faith, Doctrine is important. If you do not have doctrinal categories in your mind and in your heart, it is going to be impossible for you to have your heart guarded by faith. Um, There has to be some substance there. So, like what? What are the kinds of things that we might live off of or that might guard our hearts? Well, back to Isaiah 43. Verses 1 through 3. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. And I'll stop there. What's the guarding principle in that passage? What is he saying? What is it that we can fix our mind upon that will bring perfect peace? Well, it's just this reality that I'm with you. 
you go through the you go through the waters, you pass through the waters, and I'll be with you through the rivers. They're not going to overflow you because I'm with you. When you walk through the fire, it's not going to burn you or consume you because I'm going to be with you. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, your faith will guard you. If you think you're walking through trials all by yourself, there will be no peace. It'll be difficult. You will think you'll never make it. But the truth is that for every redeemed child of God, as you walk through any and every season of life, just like we read this morning out of Psalm 125, the Lord surrounds you just like the mountains surround Jerusalem. He's, he has uh, uh, covenanted that He would be with you. He's walking with you. His protective care is with you. His provisions are with you. And God's disposition is for you. And so, brothers and sisters, your faith will guard you if it's informed by Scripture. This is a promise that's brought up again and again. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, where he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You know, there are times in life where you feel like you are all alone. You know that experience if you've lived very long. The psalmist knew that experience. Psalm 13 um, David's words resonate with uh, yeah, so many of us if we are uh, honest about different seasons in life. Psalm 13, verse 1. How long will you forget me, O Lord, forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And we could go on and we'll read more of this passage in a minute. But this this dark season of the soul where David just feels like he's been abandoned. He's all by himself. Lord, how long are you going to hide yourself from me? How long, Lord, are you going to forget me? Well, the truth is, even though David's experience felt that way, the Lord never had forgotten him. He never had even hidden his face from him. The Lord was with him. And as David works through it at the end, you can see that he comes to that conclusion. But I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Or Romans 8.31. If God be for us, who can be against us? These are basic truths. But brothers and sisters, these are the truths we live off of. God is for you. As you go through difficulties, as you go through trials, it's it's easy to come to the conclusion that the Lord must be punishing me for something. He must be punishing me. Maybe He's trying to get your attention. And it could be that God is trying to discipline you and bring correction into your life. But that's not because He's mad. Because He loves you. Because He cares for you. It's because He pursues you. And so God is for you. That's another truth that will guard you by faith. You go through difficulties. You go through trials. We could go um, throughout Scripture and really spend the whole message on this point, but here it is once again. You are kept by the power of God through faith. That is, you have access to the power of God that will guard your heart through faith. 
as you build your faith and inform your faith through Scripture, then your heart is guarded by the lies of Satan and the temptations of the world and really the weakness of the flesh. So that's point number one out of 1 Peter 1. Number one, your faith will guard you as you make your way through this world. Number two, 1 Peter 1, look at verse 6. Wherein you greatly rejoice, that is, you greatly rejoice in this salvation that you've received and the fact that you're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Faith will guard you. Number two, grief will overwhelm you. It is normal to hurt in a fallen world. Temptations, trials, heaviness, that's all a normal part of a fallen world. You know, one of the things that our culture as a whole has lost sight of, and unbelievers have never never had this idea, but, but it's, I think it's even more, uh, uh, I think our culture is even more insulated from this reality than, than maybe those in the past, is that, number one, this world is not our home. And number two, if you have any other concept of the world that you live in that is outside of this understanding that this is a world that is a low ground of sin and sorrow, uh, you're living in a fantasy. It doesn't mean that we don't ever experience good things in this world. It doesn't mean that there aren't joys that we experience, that there aren't blessings that we experience. But in a fallen world, you're going to hurt. And you're going to hurt fairly frequently. In a world where there are temptations, you're going to hurt. Um, we, you know, statistically, when you uh, look at what the, uh, the mental health statistics are, there's, there are more people now who are depressed and diagnosed with things like clinical anxiety than ever before. Now, I don't doubt that people feel sad. I also don't doubt that people feel anxious. But did you know that in a fallen world, anxiety and sadness are not abnormal? It's not a disorder for you to be anxious about something. It's not a disorder for you to be sad about something. We live in a world where those things are normal because it's a sin-cursed world. Things are not the way that they were supposed to be, or we could say they're not the way God originally designed the world to function. Look in Psalm 137. Psalm 
Psalm 137. This is a psalm that was written um, during the exile after Judah was taken into captivity. It's a lament. We'll just read the first four verses. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? You may think that's kind of a strange psalm to go to to make this point. Well, if we were to take the imagery and uh, uh, apply it to this reality that grief will overwhelm you in a fallen world, brothers and sisters, you're in a strange land at a verse 4. He asked this question, how will we sing this, the Lord's songs in a strange land? We're not supposed to be here. This is not the way it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to be sitting by the rivers of Babylon. We're not supposed to be weeping when we remember Zion. That should bring rejoicing to our hearts. Zion is a, is a precious blessing. Why are we weeping? Well, it's because it's, it's out of reach. We're not there. It's normal in a fallen world to weep over precious blessings that you no longer possess. That's a normal thing. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. They that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And he says, essentially, we cannot bear to do that right now. Why? Because things aren't the way they're supposed to be. That's why. Psalm 88. Psalm 88. Now, as it relates to lament psalms, and we've talked about these as we've made our way through on Wednesday nights, lament psalms are just those psalms of complaint where the psalmist is complaining to God, not about God. And usually, these psalms will find a resolve. So like Psalm 13, it finds a resolve um, eventually as the, psalmist, um, uh, as the psalmist gets to the end and resolves to trust in the Lord. Psalm 88 is the only lament psalm that doesn't find a resolve at the end. It starts out as a lament and it ends that way. So we'll read just a, a, few, um, a few sections here. We won't read the whole thing. Verses 3 and 4. He says, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength. You ever felt like your strength was just zapped? Like you could not move on. You didn't know how you were going to move on. How you were going to take another step. Well, the psalmist here understood that as well. What about verses 14 through 16? Lord, why castest Thou off my soul? Why hidest Thou Thy face from me? 
I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up while I suffer thy terrors. I am distracted. Thy fierce wrath goeth over me. Thy terrors have cut me off. And then we get to the very end of the psalm in verse 18. Lover and friend hast thou put far from me and mine acquaintance into darkness. Well, it's a, it's a dark psalm, really. It's not one that you read if you want to find encouragement. I would dare say that most people haven't made Psalm 88 their life psalm. But you know, Psalm 88 many times matches up to life fairly well. So you might think, well, why is that even there? Why would, why would a psalm like this be in Scripture? Well, you know, in spite of the fact that, that the, the psalmist never does turn the corner on the lament, Psalm 88 and all of its darkness is a psalm of faith. Who is it that the psalmist is lamenting to? God. He's bringing his difficulties, he's bringing this dark night of the soul to the Lord. He's pouring his heart out to him. And he continues in a difficult situation, he continues to reach out to the one who can help. He's overwhelmed. I mean, if you read that psalm, it's pretty descriptive. He's overwhelmed and he continues to pursue This is normal in a fallen world. Sometimes we mentioned earlier about depression and anxiety and things like that. Being being, maybe mentioned is not the right word, but even marketed as some abnormality. You're supposed to walk through life, live your life without any of that. And if you do, happen to experience that. There's some sort of a disorder that needs to be cured. I'm not saying that people don't go through severe bouts of depression. I'm not even saying that there are some who experience um, uh, extended bouts of depression that are brought on by uh, other reasons. But I am saying this. When we look at Scripture and we try to figure out what's normal, The most normal individual, and when I say normal, I'm talking about God's idea of normal. The most normal individual in the Bible is Jesus. Right? That's that's God's standard for normal. Do you remember what Jesus is known as in Isaiah? One of the titles that he's given is the man of sorrows. The one who's acquainted with grief. We see Jesus in this sorrow in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see uh, as we trace the life of Jesus, and as we've been in John, we've we've seen this a good bit. He created the world, he went into his own. And his own received him not. Despised. Rejected.
acquainted with grief. Brothers and sisters, grief will overwhelm you in a fallen world. It is normal to hurt. Number three, back in 1 Peter. First Peter 1, verse 7. So we said in verse 6, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Third point is that the fires will try you. The fires will try you. Growth is often painful. Growth is often painful. It, it is worth noting whenever you go from verse 6 to 7, it's necessary that you go that you are in heaviness through these manifold temptations. For what reason? That, verse 7. Okay, the word that could be translated for this purpose. That the trial of your faith, though it be tried as fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So growth is is often painful. You know, sometimes we have romanticized views of what it means to, to grow. And Christian culture doesn't help that out much. Um, sometimes there are, uh, we just have this idea that if it's just us and Scripture, maybe a nice warm cup of coffee in the morning. That's all I need. It's all I need to grow. And there's nothing wrong with drinking coffee while you read Scripture. That's fine. But you know that growth is more than just a transfer of information from Scripture into your head. Growth is really transformation. right? So that means that the truth of God's Word meets you in real life and transforms you through your experiences. Growth is not theoretical. Sometimes people mistake knowledge for growth. Now, knowledge is something that you need, but Peter's going to go on in 2 Peter and tell us that we need to add to our knowledge. Knowledge is not an end in and of itself. We need to know how to apply that knowledge. We need to know how to live off of that knowledge. And so often, the way God does that is by sending us through trials. Sending us through difficulties. Now, you've heard me say this before. It's probably been a while since I've said it. But what good is a God who is merciful if you never need any mercy? What good is a God who is gracious if you don't need that grace? If you're just indifferent to it? What good is a God who's full of compassion if you don't really need that? What good is a God who's a present help in time of need if you never need any help? But that's not the kind of world we live in and that's not the kind of God who's called us to Himself. 
We go through trials. We go through difficulties. And growth, brothers and sisters, is often painful. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Now again, I'll, I'll say the same thing I said earlier. Every trial that we go through, 100% of the time, every trial that you go through is an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to draw near to the Lord. It's an opportunity to seek to view your circumstance through the lens of Scripture. And I don't mean that in some sort of a cold clinical way. We struggle to do that. We, we fight to do that. But God's purpose in every single one of His trials is to grow you up into the image of Jesus Christ. Job chapter 23. Job chapter 23, verse 10 says, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He knows the way I take, and when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. Proverbs says it this way. Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17. Verse 3, the fining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord trieth the heart. Now, this whole business of trying, the imagery that's used here is uh, it's a purifying, a testing, a proving. So what they would do, the, the fining pot, where they would take silver or gold, they would take some sort of a precious precious metal, and they would prove it. That is to prove its purity. The way that they would do that, they would purify this metal, is that they would bring uh, uh, or they would enhance the heat until all the impurities were burnt out of it. And so, the hotter the fire, the more impurities that were burnt out, and the purer the gold or the silver or whatever the precious metal was. And so the imagery that's used here is that the trials of life are being used the same way that the, the, the refiner's pot is used for the metal, only the metal, in your case, would be your heart. He is refining you. He is purifying you. He is bringing you to greater maturity through the difficulties, through the trials that you face. One of the, it's kind of a side note, but it does, does uh, fit the illustration here. One of the ways that the refiner would know that all the impurities were burnt out of the metal would be that he could look over into the pot and he could see his reflection clearly in the melted metal, whatever that was. Well, how is it 
that the Lord will know when you've been refined. Well, it's whenever you've been brought to the fullness of the image of Christ. When He looks at you and sees His Son. Well, brothers and sisters, this is a, this is a painful process. Really what it means is that God's goal for your life is that you become a whole lot less like you and a whole lot more like Jesus. And if any of us think that that's going to be a painless process, we know very little about what God's up to. We know very little about ourselves in comparison to Christ. This is a huge transformation that's going to take place over an extended period of time. That is your life. And it's going to be ongoing. So what does it mean for you to be purified? Well, in some ways it means, I mean, as far as God's agenda for our life, in some ways it means that God is trying to bring you to the place and you will be brought there one day where you love the things that He loves and you hate the things that He hates. Are you offended by the idea that right now, you still love things that God hates and hate things that He loves. You see, the fires will try you. The, 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 the fires will get our attention and will begin to transform and to really pull from our clenched hands the things that we will not let go of until the heat gets hot enough. Growth is often painful because our hearts are often stubborn. That's the way that works. So the fires will try you. Number four, So this is verse 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now you see Him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Point number four here is that Christ will sustain you. Christ will sustain you. So if we were to go back and think about these trials, trials were never meant to define you. They're meant to refine you. And Christ is going to sustain you as you go through the refiner's fire. As a matter of fact, as you grow and you make your way through this uh, fallen world, through the... Um, uh, sanctification process, it's more about Jesus than it is about you. Did you know that? Did you know that the Lord is leading you through paths of righteousness for His name's sake? It's about His glory. It's not about yours. And sometimes we can, uh, sometimes we can forget about that. And so as we make our way through these difficulties, through these trials that are refining us, the Lord is going to sustain us. Hebrews chapter 2, 
verses 17 and 18, it talks about the fact that Jesus Christ knows our experience and He's able to help us. So what do you do as you go through trials and difficulties? Do those things tend to push you closer to the Lord and the Lord's people? Or do you tend to shrink back and isolate? Do they warm your heart toward the Lord or do they harden your heart toward the Lord? Well, only you can do only you can know that, but the trial is exposing something. And one of the provisions that we've been given in the trial is a savior who knows us intimately, who knows our experience, who's acquainted with grief and who is able to give just the right help at just the right time. You know, the passage here is really a, it's a strange, strangely worded passage. Speaking about Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love. And whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Pointing you to a Savior, to Jesus Christ, who even though you've never seen Him, no one in this room with your physical eyes, you've never ever seen Him, and yet you love Him. Doesn't that sound crazy? There's no wonder why an unbelieving world scoffs at Christianity. We're putting all our eggs in the basket of a man we've never actually seen. Sounds crazy to the world. But for those who have been made to see, who've been brought to faith, who have been drawn to Him by grace, we say, yeah, that's my experience. Yeah, I haven't seen Him, but I love Him. In whom though you see Him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Again, this is, this is coming to Him by faith, embracing what He said, rejoicing in what He's done. Now, why do you suppose you're still doing that? Why do you suppose that your trials haven't pressed you further and further and further away to where you just threw up your hands and said, forget it? Well, it's not because of you. It's because Christ is sustaining you and helping you through the trials of life. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 and 16. He is our compassionate help in time of need. He draws near to us. He intercedes for us. And brothers and sisters, the sustaining grace of Jesus Christ is primarily about putting His glory on display. So that as you go through the trials of life, it's a lot less about you and a lot more about Him. It's not about your strength. It's about His strength in you. It's not even about your faithfulness. It's about His faithfulness to uphold you. 
And so as you go through a fallen world that's full of difficulties and sorrows, Christ will sustain you. You will make it to the end. Aren't you thankful for that? And then last, number five, out of verse nine, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Last point is that eternity will define you. You are not yet what you one day will be. Aren't you thankful for that? His work in us is not yet complete. It's going to be brought to completion one of these days. But we won't be completely defined until we reach the other side of glory. Now contrast that because sometimes the world gets this wrong and sometimes Christians get this wrong. We said earlier about trials that trials are not meant to define you. They are meant to refine you. What I mean by that is they're meant to have significant impacts on your life that move you closer and closer to the Lord and toward transformation in Christ likeness. No single trial is meant to define you in the sense of your weakness your lack of strength, your lack of character, your lack of whatever. But brothers and sisters, what you one day will be will define you for the rest of eternity. You know, I think whenever we make it to heaven, I don't think we'll have amnesia. I think we'll remember this life. I think we'll remember the difficulties in this life. I think we'll remember the trials that we went through. I think we'll remember the heartaches that we endured. And I think our memory of every single one of those things will leave us standing in awe of what Christ did through those difficulties with such a pitiful package, that being me and you. Philippians 1.6, Paul says that he was confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it. He's going to bring it to completion. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Okay, right now we're in the process of being conformed to His image. One of these days, we're going to be just like Him. Because we'll see Him as He is. And so you're not yet what you one day will be. A couple of application points. Number one, there are times that we tend to or we try to define ourselves by how well we are handling life or how well we are handling a given trial. That is a massive mistake. In this world where you still wrestle with the world and the flesh and the devil, Christ's work in you is not yet complete. 
And so for you to try to um, define yourself as a whole by how well you've done in a tiny sliver of the sanctification process is a massive mistake. It's also a lack of faith. It's like trying to test out a, a, a cake that's only half-baked. Okay? You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't put something in the oven that needs to, needs to cook for two hours and after 30 minutes try to take a bite and fall apart because it wasn't what it was supposed to be. Well, it's the same with you. You're not done yet. You're all, you're, you, for some of us, you're more than halfway there. For some of us, you're not even a quarter way there. Here's what we know. We know that there is coming a day when we shall see Christ face to face. We shall receive the end, that is, the end product of our redemption. And when we do that, we will see Him how it is, how He is, because His work in us will be complete. And so, just in summary, 1 Peter 1, 3-9, through 9, as you go through life, through your pilgrimage, number one, faith will guard you. Number two, grief will overwhelm you. Number three, fire will try you. Number four, Christ will sustain you. And number five, eternity will define you. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You have given us Your Word, that You have revealed these great and precious promises to us, that You've blessed us with what we need to be able to interpret life, to be able to interpret our experiences. And so, Father, I do pray that our faith would guard us. Lord, I do pray that as we look at life, as we look at difficulties, as we look at experiences and circumstances, that we would be able to understand those through the lens of Scripture and that the rest of these points would fall into place. We thank You for redemption. We thank You for the hope that one of these days our redemption will be complete. Until then, would You guard us? Would You keep us by Your power? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.